the research, it, it says that, you know, incremental increases in happiness come from subtracting negatives from your life rather than adding more positives, right? So if you're, if you have an hour commute, you're going to be happier if you work from home than if you get a Lexus to drive the hour commute. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Before we get to this week's show, I'd like to make you an offer. You can video chat with me if you like. It's something people do with me all the time, and it's completely free every Wednesday evening. This is a free strategy session done over video chat. Anything and everything you want to talk about in regards to real estate investing. There's no sales call here. There's no ulterior motive. I'm not going to pitch you on a mentoring program. This is really just a way for you and I to connect. I talk to real estate investors all the time at RIA meetings, but there are only so many meetings I can attend having a family and a full-time job. And I prefer the one-on-one connections anyway. doesn't matter if you're a brand new investor just starting out or an experienced investor. I can act as a sounding board on a deal you're looking at, or maybe just answer some questions you have about real estate investing. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash connect and fill out the form there to schedule a call. I look forward to speaking with you. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Our guest and her husband set out to quit their day jobs and become full-time freelancers, something that they achieved in 2017 when they were just 35 years old. She runs a super informative blog at thefrugalengineers.com and has a new guide to college planning and early retirement. Kim, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really great to thank you for joining us on this Sunday. I know you have a family and uh, there are other things you could be doing. So, so talk to us a little bit. Um, do you recall an aha moment for you when it came to uh, the idea of financial independence and retiring early? I guess the first time I had learned about retirement was when I was in college and started reading a couple of books because I was doing the debt-free path, the Dave Ramsey path. And at one point I, I picked up your money or your life. And that was the, I guess that was my aha moment was because up until that point, I'd always heard that traditional retirement planning is you know, you want to replace 80% of your income and pick the day you're going to die and run out of money on that day, right? (laughs) And, but your money or your life presented this alternative to if you have a big enough nest egg that's throwing off interest, just live off the interest, right? Um, and And you don't run out of money or theoretically, right? And so that was the goal from the beginning was, I want to amass a giant <laughs> nest egg to give me options. Yeah. And as far as the fire movement, which is our big thing right now, um, that came when our daughter was a newborn and we were reading Mr. Money Mustache. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. You joined you joined the Mustachian cult. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> A good cult. Yes, it is a good cult. So you know, you you talked mm-hmm. about the fact that you you started off on the sort of the Dave Ramsey path, and that really it's changed a lot of people's lives. It certainly it impacted our life as well. Um, and but you talk about that you graduated uh, from uh, the Dave Ramsey school of thought. Can you talk about what you mean by that? So Dave Ramsey was really helpful because I. I didn't really get a lot of financial advice from my parents growing up. And um, I had never been explained, you know, how these things work or even just the basic uh, philosophy behind living within your means, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's this idea of if you can afford the minimum monthly payment, then you're fine. But if you lose a job, right, I graduated in the recession, makes it more realistic, like, oh, I I need some savings. For example, I just got a phone call this morning. My little brother crashed his car. He's a college student. And he's completely confused about what's he going to do. I said, well, you don't have any savings right now. But next year, we're going to make sure you have some savings (laughs) in case you crash the car again. So this is a a fork in your road. This is a learning opportunity. And um, being in debt from student loans and a car payment uh, credit cards. It it was a blessing because it taught me how to pay attention to where my money was going. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I would have had that motivation to pay attention since I always made a pretty good salary as an engineer. Right. Yeah. I think it's uh, unfortunate how much schools have gotten away from sort of that like home economics kind of path. I mean, I think that what you would learn in there now is completely different than probably what it was, you know, back in the day. But it's it, it's all about like learning these things that actually aren't very important later in life in a lot of ways. And, you know, that you can, you need them, but some of it, like, I don't, I don't use a lot of math anymore. Right. If I'm an engineer or I pick that path, and of course, like those things are important and you need to have a foundation, but you also need to have a foundation to like live a life that right. is, you know, is, is good and that you're not going to be screwed over by one car accident or the loss yeah. of one job. So I, I wish that it was more prominent Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tricky because there's so much that we, you know, our daughter's in first grade, and there's so much that we want to teach her about how to live a life, right? How when we're in the grocery store, we look at the unit price and choose the lowest one, right? You don't look mm-hmm. at the actual price. And I remember we were shopping, it was a couple months ago, because we we're buying Halloween candy. And we were saying, if we're just going to give this away, let's get the cheapest candy we can find, right? Because we're going to buy like, you know, 20 pounds of it. And so I had her go up and down the aisle and look for the the most, you know, inexpensive Halloween candy, which is Smarties, if anybody's curious, because it's basically pure sugar. Um, (laughs) It's chalk and and sugar. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember one of the employees at the grocery store he said, oh, are you, are you doing math homework with your daughter? I said, no, home economics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you guys homeschool? Just a random tangent. No, or? no she's in public school. Um, we do some supplemental stuff with her. Things like, like home economics, right? Um, mm-hmm. there, there are a couple of things that her school doesn't cover that we do want to cover with her. Um, 
things like, you know, counting money and, and more practical stuff, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a little bit, not, not full time. Cause we haven't had the yeah. need to yet. <laughs> Yeah. No, I think it's important to start early and start in your house because it's not available at schools anymore. So if you want your child to have that experience, then you need to do it at home. And it's, it's nice to start early. We're trying, but we frequently are sabotaged by the grandparents. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. We, yeah. we, we can't afford, we hold them. We, you know, yeah, we're telling them we can't afford budget. that. It's not no. in the budget. We can afford it. Yes. It's not in the budget. Yes. It's not in the budget. And then be like, all right, I'll ask Papa. <laughs> <laughs> He'll take me to target. Yep. <laughs> okay. I guess it's creative financing. We'll <laughs> <go with> that. <laughs> they found an angel investor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Other oh. people's money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I I recall I'm I'm 15 years older than Brittany, um, and um, when I was in school, you know, we they we did go through a period where they taught you how to write a check, you know, how to write a check and sort of how to quote unquote balance a checkbook, mm-hmm. uh, and but that didn't much didn't really go much beyond that, yeah. and you know well, that's gone now. I oh mean, yeah, even I'm sure. for me that wasn't. I think the only thing we did with money, I remember in like elementary school, they had like one day where we were like supposed to, it was, it was, we were like gonna, we're looking for apartments to rent or something. And I remember that I really wanted to keep doing it, like put together this like, like look for a job, look for, and I don't even remember why we were doing it. Cause I think it was like fourth grade. So it was sort of a weird thing, but it was so interesting to me. And then I remember thinking we were going to continue. It was like a project. And then, but then it, it never continued. I don't know if they were like, oh, this is too much, but that was literally the only exposure in school that I got to, you know, anything that looked like money handling. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, luckily my parents they didn't teach me money, but they at least like, I knew how to like make a doctor's appointment and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Better than nothing, I guess. <laughs> uh, so one of the first things that people discover uh, when, when people first discover the idea of fire or, you know, and um, is this define fire, financial independence, retire early. And there's, a, there's a spectrum as I think you um, you and your husband are not full fire. I mean, you're, you're, you're sort of, you're free, you're still freelancing, correct? You're still earning an income. So that's interesting. Last week we reached the point because we sold our second house and paid off this house. So as of last week, we are entirely fine, I guess. Okay. That's cool. We, we stopped taking on new work, but we still have some stuff that we'd already signed on for that we're going to do. And as far as 2020, if there's stuff that comes up, you know, interesting contracts, then we'll, we'll take a look at it, but it's not at the top of our mind right now. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's pretty nice. Well, yeah. Well, and you know, the, the, the thing that people sometimes forget when they start talking about FI is that it's not just about sitting on the beach and sipping Mai Tais right. and traveling all the time. It's literally like, it's just that the world options open up Mm -hmm. yeah and and you're no longer you know you can you know hey i i'd like to work less i'd like to to be pickier about the contracts that i take i'm i'm going to take more risks on uh as an entrepreneur you get to choose what you 
enjoy doing. You know, that's a lot of the the investors that we talk to. They still work, and a lot of them don't necessarily work because they have to. They're probably they're they're probably fi, but they like it and they enjoy it. You know, and and we talked to someone recently that was like, um you know, I'm on vacation. And, and after a couple of weeks, my wife is like, go work because yeah. I'm itching to do it because it's his passion. Yeah. And that's great because most of us don't get that opportunity. Even if it's a field that we really have invested time in and we want to be in, it can become sort of stagnant and, and you know, you get routed into one part of it, uh, especially if you're in some kind of desk job or like, you know, you have a job job where you're going there and that's what you're doing. Yeah. So that freedom to choose, I think is one of the most amazing things about being financially independent or even partially financially independent, you know? Yeah. It, it's been a, a stepping process for us, for sure. Like the the biggest, the biggest change was when we paid off our first mortgage. And the motivation behind that was we were about to have a baby and we didn't want to have, you know, the point of failure of if somebody loses a job, we can't pay our mortgage. So even though we could have made a whole lot more money, because this was in 2011, we could have made a whole lot more money if we had invested it instead. At the end of the day, we wanted more time to be with our newborn and less time having to work to pay the mortgage and invest the difference and blah, blah, blah. So um, when I when I started working from home for myself, that was, to me, that I feel like that's when my retirement began, even though sometimes I was still working 60-hour weeks. Um, I didn't have to drive anywhere. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I literally got rid of every collared shirt in my wardrobe. <laughs> yes. I still don't own any collared shirts. I <laughs> You can't see this in the video, but Kim is wearing, uh, she's wearing a, a Stanford sweatshirt. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, this is my, my go-to. So that first step of being able to quit my full-time job in engineering and, and do my own thing, that was because we didn't have a mortgage, you know, and that I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing that. And then a couple of years later, my husband quit his job and decided to do a freelance thing. So it's it's been a little bit of a, a step each way. And like you were saying about the choice of choosing what you want to do, my husband's a rocket scientist and he gets to work on the coolest stuff. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And for him, I don't think he's ever going to retire because he enjoys that world so much, but he doesn't have to drive into an office every day and he gets to work on six to 12 week contracts at a time. And then goes, I mean, he goes skiing on like a Tuesday. So (laughs) It's, yeah. it's a he's got a really nice balance, right? He can work when he wants to, and then you know, not work if he doesn't want to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So when you you know kind of started down this um, this buy path, how did you guys sit down and kind of figure out your spending? What did that look like? So I had been tracking my personal spending since college, and just on paper. I still have the old paper budgets and they are so funny to look back at because it was this like doomsday approach of <laughs> lose my job. We can move in with my mother-in-law. We can sell my car because <laughs> it's 2008, right? Or I guess 2009. And Great time to graduate from college. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really good time to go create a job. So 
It's funny, we, we both dropped out of PhD programs to go work and I'm starting to wonder, was that a good idea? <laughs> was that a good idea? But it all worked out. So yeah, I had been tracking on paper um, since I was trying to get out of debt in college. And so it had become a habit for me. And I really liked to have that number in the back of my mind of, you know, some people call it your monthly nut. Like what's your, what's your monthly, you know, burn rate or whatever. And my husband, he had been just a naturally frugal guy who didn't need to pay attention to how much he was spending because there was always a positive balance in the checking account. Hmm. And so when we got together and we got married and bought a house and all that, we had accounts all over the place. And we said, how are we going to get this together? So we ended up starting with Mint. And I just watched your You Need to Budget video. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we started with mint and we are still to this day terrible about telling our money where it needs to go right we're better at just looking where it went before and just keep doing the same thing over and over again so yeah we, we started tracking all our finances in mint and building our own spreadsheets as far as the four percent rule how much money do we need in each account where is it all going to come from yeah Uh, so for for Somebody who's maybe not familiar with the whole 4% rule, can you sort of go over that real quick for us? So the idea is that if you have a nest egg of investments, and this is just like stock market investments, this isn't real estate. So the idea is that if you have a nest egg that is a mixture of stocks and bonds, um, you can safely withdraw 4% of your investments every year. And I think it's like a 95% chance that you won't run out of money. Um, The research is called the Trinity Study. So if you have, for example, a household spending of $40,000, and that includes income taxes when you retire and you're taking money out of your 401k, you multiply that by 25, which is the inverse of 4%, and you would need a million dollars to be able to spend that $40,000. So you build a nest egg of, it's the nest egg approach. Uh, You know, you build a nest egg of, of a million dollars and you've got essentially a, a, what should be a perpetual machine, money machine that puts off $40,000 a year. Yeah. We joke that I'm a kept woman now. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) So, you know, you, you and your husband, both, you went through careers that require a lot of schooling. So I imagine that you, there's a good chance that you graduated from, uh, college with a substantial amount of student loan debt. Is that correct? Um, not so much. So he he had a full fellowship. Okay. He he didn't have any debt from undergrad, and he had a full fellowship for graduate school. I had a fellowship for the first year, and then had to take out money the second year, which is about a thousand dollars a week. So I tried to graduate as soon as possible. <laughs> mm. um, so I think all in all, my student I had a full ride for undergrad also. So um, I went in state and so I think my total student loan debt was about $20,000 around there. And my starting salary was you know, 55 and this was in Florida with no state income tax. So I knocked that out in about a year and a half. Gotcha. Um, and you know, the, uh, you, we, we interview a lot of real estate investors. And so a lot of them would hear your story of paying off your homes and, you know, and die of shock. Um, and you, you briefly talked about your 
your thought process and that, but can you go into a little more detail about sort of how, what that meant to you and what your thought process was? Okay. So to me, it seemed really simple as far as reducing the number of bills that we had to pay every month after our daughter was born. So at the time, our mortgage, we had a 15 year, I think it was about 1600 bucks. And so if I had kept working, I would pay that $1,600 with after-tax money, right? And then I would invest, you know, say, I don't know, $1,600 difference. And so that grows in a brokerage account or we'll just call it a brokerage account. Um, so also after-tax. So then you're paying money on the dividends that are coming off of that. Um, and I'm having to log in and sell it every month to pay the mortgage. And then maybe you just get this little slice after taxes that's growing. So, you know, if it, if I had been in a position where, like, if we didn't have a baby and I wasn't in a hurry to leave the full-time workforce at the time, we may have held on to it a little bit longer because it was a 3.75% interest rate on and everyone thought we were crazy for doing a 15 year because a 30 year would have been 1200 bucks a month. But we said, you know, we have an extra $400 a month. We're, we're frugal people. Our cars are paid off and we're debt free and all that. So even when people said you should get a 30 year and pay it off in 15, we're like, yeah, but human nature tells us we will not do that. We will find emergencies and find reasons to not pay extra on it. Um, so yeah, it, at the time, we decided to live off of one income. And at the time, we actually had three incomes because my husband had his full-time day job. I had my full-time day job. And then I had my moonlighting gig, which is what I quit to work on, right? So all of my full-time day job plus my side gig went straight into the mortgage. And if you look back at the payoff table, it's hilarious because you'll see like $2,615.75. <laughs> Literally to the penny. That's We just drew the line and we said, everything that Kim makes is going straight towards the principal in the house. Um, and yeah, we we paid it off in two and a half years. And wow. it, we, it was a short sale. I should mention that. So it was after the market had already gone down in Florida and we picked up a house for $220,000 for, you know, four bedroom houses. It was great timing. And then we made much worse (laughs) real estate decisions when we bought our second house. So, yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about that. Have you any other financial uh, mistakes that you made along the way? Uh, Okay. So, the first one, I have two. I have two big, big mistakes. The first was in college when, just like my brother, I crashed my car. And it was a paid off car. I had paid with it with tutoring money. It was, you know, in the clear. But I needed it to get to my internship. So the next day I went to the dealership and bought a $25,000 brand new car. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge mistake. <laughs> um, this was before Uber. So there really wasn't any other way to get to work. And I learned a big lesson that day to take your time. If you're in a a financial emergency, call in sick. (laughs) Like do what you have to do to stall and catch your breath and think it through to make a rational decision. 
I still don't even know why they thought it was a good idea to loan me $25,000 because I, I didn't even really have a, I was getting minimum wage. I was working at Disney World. Like, why would they give me that money? The second big mistake was buying our house in Oregon, which was house number two. And really, I guess what that came down to was we had set a budget based on our fire projections and what we wanted to spend of $400,000. And at the time, the market in this little small um, hippie town in Oregon was just on fire. And you couldn't really get anything that wasn't a condo. We, we wanted a single family home. Um, you couldn't get anything for that price. And we were in a hurry because our daughter was about to start kindergarten. And, you know, you want to be a homeowner and have stability and all that stuff. So we've spent $100,000 more than our budget on a house. And it was the worst decision. I mean, we, we finally sold it. And all in all, we lost $85,000 on the deal. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) so it sounds like really don't rush is your (laughs) big takeaway if if you can do things to have time on your side if you have a little bit of a um, extra emergency fund to help you take a cab to work for a couple of weeks yeah you, you can avoid making really rushed decisions that cost you five-figure sums down the road. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you feel like you could have maybe like rented a place for a little while or? Definitely. We had a nice rental, but it was just that voice in my head saying, your kid's about to start school. You should own a home. You don't want to throw away money on rent. And I'm like, well, I threw away $85,000 on buying. <laughs> so. mm. You achieved a, a level of five enough to the point where you guys made the decision to leave you were in Florida correct yes and you started looking you started looking at opportunities to do some geo arbitrage which we're big fans of and uh, you're engineers so you i met, you you attacked it in a very engineer like way can you talk to us about that yeah so when we were living in Florida we knew what we didn't like <laughs> And what's the research? It says that, you know, incremental increases in happiness come from subtracting negatives from your life rather than adding more positives, right? So if you're, if you have an hour commute, you're going to be happier if you work from home than if you get a Lexus to drive the hour commute, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we started by saying, how can we get rid of the bad things that are stressing us out? And in Florida, it was traffic and crime in the big city. Mm -hmm. So we said, we're going to move to a small little town in the mountains. We're going to, you know, learn how to ski. And so we moved to this small town in Oregon, 20,000 people. It was pretty idyllic. Um, But financially, it was like, you know, it it felt like someone's sitting on your chest (laughs) as, as small business owners paying you know, 9.9% marginal tax bracket, is it's pretty rough. And so we decided after two years in Oregon, we looked at the numbers and we said, let's take our expenses, multiply it by 25 and see how our nest egg is looking. And what are the expenses that we could delete, right? To, to make that number smaller. And we did the math and we realized we are already financially independent, except for state income taxes in Oregon. Mm. 
and we said, we don't have family here. <laughs> we, we don't really have any ties to the community. Um, so why don't we move to an income tax free state? Like we used to live in, in Florida. Right. And so we made a list. I, we have a map and I was coloring all the states. So from March to May of, of 2019, we visited Alaska. We'd already been to Washington. We visited Nevada, um, mm -hmm. Tennessee, and we already knew Florida, Wyoming. <laughs> um, we ruled out Texas because we wanted to have skiing still. And we ruled out New Hampshire because cost of living. So we went to all these places <laughs> and we brought our daughter whenever we could. And we would go do the things that we would normally do if we were living there. So we went to the gym, went to the library, did some kids stuff, went to the parks, and we met with realtors and toured homes to see what kind of construction is here. What are the issues that homeowners are dealing with? You know, we've never had a basement before. That's a thing in Wyoming. Um, we toured the in-state universities in each of these towns. <laughs> So University of Tennessee, University of Nevada, Reno, University of Wyoming. And because that was another part of it was we want somewhere where our daughter can go in state and be able to study something like engineering. Right. And Wyoming was the last place on the list because I was a little nervous <laughs> to, to move to what could climatologically, climatologically be described as the North Pole. So <laughs> I'm looking out my window right now and there's about two feet of snow on the road. Oh, wow. Yeah. My, my family's up skiing right now. So, and you know, I'm from, I'm from the South. So this was a big adjustment. <laughs> like yeah. I really liked the climate in Carson city a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, something about Wyoming was just, I don't know. It's, it's a small town. It's about 30,000 people here. We're, we're right next to the university of Wyoming. And we are about two hours from the Denver airport. So we still have access to go fly places without having to do a connection. Um, and yeah, we can walk to school. It's not, you know, when you say Wyoming, people think you live on a ranch, like <laughs> Kanye West or something. Yeah. But yeah. no, we're in a little college town. And yeah, we, so we, we did the math and we said, we're financially independent except for state income taxes. So when we moved here, we we're like, oh, yes, our net worth is at that number. Like, ding, ding, ding. We're so excited. But then we're still paying for the Oregon house because it sat on the market for six months. So for six months, we, we were still freelancing and still working at you know a higher level than we would have liked to um, just because we're carrying the, the cost of two houses. But that's done. That's over. Congratulations. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> that's fantastic. When did you sell the second house? Like last week. Last week. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so you're a newly officially fi. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's pretty cool because it's not something you really tell your neighbors, right? So, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is it is kind of cool. Um we had been thinking a lot about how is this going to change our our day-to-day -day routine and it, it kind of hasn't because we've been working from home for all these years anyway you know most of my career i've worked from home so 
that day-to-day routine is kind of the same, I guess, but um, we, you know, we can kind of do whatever we want, I guess. It's kind of nice. You have more of that flexibility because you don't have to do these jobs if you don't want to. Right. Um, and that's cool. And then you can, if you do want to do something special, you can take some jobs because, you know, it sounds like different freelancing stuff is something that you have access to. So that's really cool. That's, I think that's important to think about too, if you're trying to get to FI is like, how can you supplement if you really want to or need to, you know, like what else can you do? Because you know, I mean, something could still happen. Right. I've, <laughs> I've made that list of like jobs Kim can do. And and most of them are, you know, I could still keep doing this. We, we plan on keeping our licenses all current and up to date. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as, you know, backups, you know, the university is here, right? So that's that's an automatic, like, that would be the first place we would look to get a job. And also just the remote consulting that we've been doing for the past however many years. Um, But yeah, I I guess, you know, a lot of people talk about you have to have something to retire to. And I think that's definitely important. But I will say, I think it's less important for people with small kids. Mm -hmm. Then you're just retiring to be a stay-at-home parent, which is plenty of stimulation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. No idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't, I guess I don't feel like I need to go, you know, find my purpose and my calling and like, because my calling is right here in the house and she's six years old and she needs a lot. So, um, but one thing that's been really, really exciting for me is that I, now that I don't have the pressure to work for a salary, I can do jobs that I've always wanted to do that I didn't give myself permission to do because of the low hourly rate, right? So for example, I like to teach dance, um, specifically dance fitness. So, <laughs> okay, you know, like, like Zumba and those kinds of classes. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And that's not a job that's going to, you know, even pay the groceries. So, yeah. but it's something I, I really get a lot of joy out of it. And it's a really good way to make friends. And it's something that when you have... Your hours are limited because you have a little kid, right? So you've got 35 hours a week of childcare with public school. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if you have bills to pay, you want all 35 of those hours to be engineering hours, right? Like you want to make that engineering money. And so you can't give yourself permission to take a morning off and go teach a dance class. And now it's like, I'm really excited to, to do those fun jobs again, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. That's kind of the the whole thing. You get to choose. And if you choose to do something that does pay you money, right. great. But it could also just be a hobby or yeah. something else. So yeah, it's nice. And I think um, there's a concept from, I think it's Liz from the Frugal Woods. Mm-hmm. If you've ever heard them talk, um, they, she's like, she really likes yoga. Mm-hmm. And, but yoga classes are expensive. And, but once she achieved phi, she's like, well, she basically volunteers at the yoga studio to check people in every morning and then she gets free yoga classes. Yeah. So okay. really, yeah. That's um, cool. Yeah. You know, so much of people's identity is tied up in what they do for a living. And I'm curious, you know, because like anytime you meet a stranger, you know, at a party or something, they're like, oh, what do you do? 
you know, have you thought about what you're going to say? So I think in the short term, I still say I'm an engineer um, because I still have a license. I still, you know, do a little, I still have contracts I'm finishing out, right? And I think that's the easiest answer is to say what you're trained in. Um, however, I have said different things. So depending on who's asking, like if it's, if it's a professional setting and someone asks, I say I'm an engineer. Um, when I was on my way to FinCon this year, someone asked me in the airport and said, I'm a writer. Or at a fitness class a couple of weeks ago, a, a retired lady asked me, she thought I was a college student. She said, she said, do you, do you, did you move here for the, the university or do you have a job here? And I said, no, I'm just home. <laughs> like I'm just kind of a stay home mom. So it changes depending on who's asking. But what I found is more fun is when I meet people, I, I ask them, what do you like to do? And so when we went to Alaska this year, we, we were actually there on a conference there was an engineering conference that, that took us to Alaska. And while I was up there, I was having dinner with another engineer. I know he's an engineer because he's at this conference, so I don't care. So I said, what do you like to do? And then I learned he's an Instagram model. <laughs> that would never come up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and That's so funny. it totally changed the, the tone of the conversation. So I guess, you know, most of my friends here are stay-at-home moms, which is really unique because everywhere else I've lived, most of my friends were engineers. And so I kind of find it to be a waste of time to ask what they do for a living because number one, they either don't have a job or number two, they're just not really interested in talking about it. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you're at a, if <laughs> listeners, if you are at a party, don't ask people what they do for a living because they probably don't want to talk about their job. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people don't. And no, I think that you're going to get more interesting answers too. I mean, you could probably figure out what they do for, you know, their day job just by having part of the conversation. It'll probably come up, but um, you connect with people more when you actually talk about the things that they like to do, not that they have to do, which is the case for a lot of people with jobs. They, they have to do it. Um, so yeah. that's awesome. I also like, I was a stay-at-home mom for five years and it's, mm -hmm. it's a neat community. Yeah. It's really fun to be a part of. And I would really like the opportunity to go back to that at some point mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's a different kind of friendship. I feel like um, you can still have those kinds of friendships uh, sometimes with, you know, like I, there's a couple of moms um, now that Holden's in school that I'm starting to have that same kind of like easy, I don't know. It's like an easier friendship. It's sort of chill and you just are, I don't know how to explain it, but I find that when everyone is working or we're trying, it's, it's just, it's a lot harder. So yeah, it's, it's nice to be able to be a human with your kid and enjoy other humans <laughs> without being stressed out about <laughs> money and no. what you're doing. So anyway, I, I envy you. That was the biggest culture shock for us for moving to Wyoming was, you know, this whole time it's been, you know, I'm a, I'm a woman in engineering and there's this big pressure, right? That you have to set an example for all the other girls that want to, you know, study math and science, right? Mm -hmm. And if you say, oh, I'm 35 and I'm going to quit my job and be a stay-at-home mom, and it's like, are you 
are you setting a bad example? Are you telling them like, oh, I really couldn't hack it in engineering? So you know, mm-hmm. there, there's yeah. so much stuff <laughs> that comes up with that. And telling your parents who have invested their time and energy and money into your education that you're going to retire <laughs> is very challenging. Um, and yeah, it, I guess... This is the first place that we've ever lived where the cost of living is so manageable that they're, that it's feasible to have a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Everywhere yeah. else we've lived has been so expensive that you, know, you, you, you really can't have a decent quality of life without two people working. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy that that weight is lifted, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's... I mean, really, this is what do we talk about? You have to be creative a a lot of times to figure out how to make that happen unless one person is a really big breadwinner. Right. I'll tell you, (laughs) you know, when we lived in Oregon, I mean, the cost of living was so high there. It was was basically a retirement community for San Francisco wealthy people. So um, when I think about the friends that we met there, there was only two stay-at-home parents and both of them their spouses were surgeons everyone Mm, else everyone else both parents worked and often both parents worked two jobs and these are masters and phd level educated people and it's it's just really uh it's it's kind of crazy when you know i i coach um college students on personal finance it's one of my volunteer things and it's kind of crazy when i hear college students who just graduated and they're making crazy startup money in the Bay area, but they're spent, they're still spending half of it on rent. Oh yeah. yeah. That it's, and I almost want to cry <laughs> when we're on the phone together because I, I just want to tell them like, go to Reno, move to Reno. <laughs> well, Reno's not, Reno's not all that uh, oh. low cost living either because, because, What's happening? I went to the I went to the University of Nevada, um, and so I know Reno well. The what's happening is Silicon Valley is getting so expensive, and yeah. you've got sort of the Tesla effect in Reno that all of a sudden the tech industry sort of discovered Reno, and they're going, "Oh, we can just pretty much just go over the hill." Yep. Got no state income tax. Uh, the the other taxes are pretty low, and we can pay our people like seventy five percent of what we were paying them in the Bay area and they're able to buy, you know, really, really nice houses. And, you know, and so yeah. it, the, the median household, the median uh, home price in Reno is like $125,000 higher than it is here in Vegas. And Vegas is a pretty hot market. So right. yeah. um, it used to be, that used to be the case to yeah. go to Reno, but right. I think that's harder the big now. irony with Silicon Valley is, you know, they're, everything they do is web-based, right? This is the place that created the internet. And yeah. now <laughs> everyone is leaving <laughs> because they've, they've realized, you know, we can't make a living here. We, I mean, we can earn a living, but we can't make a life here. And, no. you know, there's that, there's that um, mindset of, oh, well, a high cost of living place is going to pay you so much better than if you, say, start your career in Orlando, Florida. But we've done the math, you know, and, and I'm not convinced. And, you know, when you, when you see the girls who graduate a year before you and they're cramming 
three girls into a one bedroom apartment to go work their engineering jobs. I'm like, I don't, I don't see the, the benefit in that anymore. But I will yeah. say, the, I, I, I think a lot about what it's going to look like when my daughter goes to get her first job. And the fact is, every, every woman in her family, like grandmas, aunts, all that, we all work from home full time. So the idea of like mom getting in the car and going to the office, like that's not a thing for her. That's a foreign, foreign idea for her. And I think the internet, you know, people talk about like your privilege and the, and the blessings that you've had, you know, based on when and where you were born. And I've got to say the internet is the biggest leg up that our generation has ever had. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and you know we talk about it a lot is when you when you separate your time and your location from your money it's a it, it's a huge leveraging factor you know and it's what you've discovered is that I can go live in Wyoming where my dollar goes that much further you know we you know we interviewed uh, Jay Martin recently who's a Airbnb. Uh, investor and he does rental arbitrage and he basically does furnished rentals in Silicon Valley that mostly he doesn't even own. He rents them and then rents them out on Airbnb legally. He he works with the landlords, but you know, I think his income, I I believe his income is somewhere in the neighborhood of $20,000 a month off of that. But then he goes and he lives in Colombia, Medellin, Colombia or Chiang Mai, Thailand, where you know, he would be wealthy if he was making $4,000 a month. So there's a real, people are so tied to, well, I got, I got to settle down. I have to find a house, you know, where I work, you know, where I work. And, you know, there, there's something to be said for figuring out how to be more mobile. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's the big distinguisher between, how do I explain this? I, I think it's a new definition of freedom. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my best friend, she just had her first baby and she switched jobs because her previous job, she was having to commute like 45 minutes into an office and sit on a computer. And this is the same company that gave her a laptop to work from home if she was sick. So why not just work from home all the time? Right. And now she works from home 100 percent of the time. And she took a little bit of a pay cut for it. But she said, that's my sanity, you know. That that's being able to see my daughter an extra hour and a half a day, right? It's I mean that's two less pumps you have to do if you're breastfeeding, right? Yeah, that's yeah. a huge huge thing, and I I guess I would say I think a lot of it's a status symbol too. When you when you 100 percent of the time when we tell people yeah we can work from anywhere, the response is oh my gosh I wish I had that. Oh my gosh you guys are so lucky. You know, and, and no one gives, no one cares that our, you know, they don't, they don't care about the material things that we have because they're not very nice things, you know, (laughs) like that, that, that's one way to impress people. But another way to impress people is to say, I engineered this career that lets me work from anywhere I want. And, you know, if something changes in Wyoming and we decide this isn't the place for us anymore, we can just pick up and go somewhere else again. Right. Tennessee is on my mind, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful um, place. Yeah. So I, I think that's, 
you know, as far as adv advice for people who are just looking for some freedom from their job, it, it might not actually be a financial thing. It might be an environment thing, right? Mm -hmm. You might enjoy your job a lot more if you don't have to go to those meetings and you don't have to put on the suit, right? Yeah. When there's a lot more flexibility now, there are a lot of companies that are allowing that more often or even just partially, like you got to go to the office once a week or, yep. you know, whatever that looks like. And even that, even if you do have to still go to an office occasionally, it still gives you, it might not give you the location independence, but it does give you a lot more time independence. Yeah. Because, and, you know, you're talking about your friend. Yeah, she might've taken a pay cut, but she probably... I mean, maybe not evened out, but she saved money on gas and on the, you know, on her car not being used as much. And, you know, all those little things that really do add up that, you know, you don't really think about until you're not having to pay for it. You know, we we had to upgrade my car and I have a hybrid now. And I'm like, wow, I put gas in it, you know, every two, two and a half weeks. And I'm sure it is an incredible, you know, it's a it's a giant chunk out of what our gas bill was and her budget. And so that now gets to go somewhere else to help us move forward in our goals, which is. Yeah. I, I like the idea of going into the office like once a week, right? Mm -hmm. Because there, there are some isolation issues with working from home hundred percent of the time. And I, I think most work from home people will agree that, you know, you, you don't notice it at the time. You're just so excited to get out of the office and be able to be home. But even interactions with annoying coworkers still count as social interaction, right? So um, I, I have another friend who he's a software something or other, right? And he, at one point he lived in an RV full time and no one at the company knew <laughs> that he lived in an <laughs> RV because he would, you know, every week or two he would, um, go to an airport and fly in and do meetings and, and take care of business and all that. And then he'd go back and they had no idea <laughs> that he was living <laughs> in, in this really nice RV. Right. But that that's another thing is that, you know, I have, I've had friends who will be consultants in a different city. So they'll fly in kind of like the California firefighters, right? They live in Nevada and they fly in when there's a fire. I, and I think I would be open to an arrangement like that. You know, we've talked about that with my husband because sometimes some of his contracts require him to fly back to Florida or Texas or wherever the client is. And it's really not that stressful anymore. Like if he says, I'm going to be gone for a week because we've got this presentation. It's not that big of a deal because I know the other 51 weeks of the year, our daughter's got two stay-at-home parents. So <laughs> I'm like, you go enjoy yourself, right? Okay, last question. You have a guide for that you've written a series of blog posts about uh, tackling college for people in early retirement. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, I'm a little bit of a college nerd. <laughs> if you haven't <laughs> picked that up. Um, you know, I, I coach... Um, college students on personal finance. And I also do, you know, college interviews and, and things like that. So I love that world. It's such a, a strange place to work in. But one thing that kept coming up when we would talk about how we wanted to retire earlier, how we were saving for this and that was, well, what are you guys doing about college? Do you have a 529? What are you going to do about this and that? And I, th I guess after a couple of 
articles came out that I was seeing people doing different things, right? People taking a different approach to it. I started saying, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of this because otherwise, you know, like we went to Stanford, right? And if I say, okay, Stanford's a thousand dollars a week now, <laughs> um, 15 years from now, who even knows, right? But we would we would be working in, until our daughter was in college and probably while she was in college. You know, I was reading books of you know from the Princeton Review and talking about the FAFSA and, and the way that where you hold your money makes a big difference, right? For example, like home equity is calculated differently than a brokerage account, right? That's another good reason to pay off your mortgage early as far as financial calculations go. So I put this series together because I just wanted to show what a family like ours specifically is doing that is not the typical get a 529, max it out every year, you know, the sky's falling, the tuition is rising, right? We, I got this idea from Liz at Chief Mom Officer. Do you guys know her? Mm-mm. So she's another fire blogger and she's got three kids. And she writes about this idea of the college compact where you say, this is what I'm going to pay for. And so we made that agreement with our daughter. And it's a two-sided agreement, right? It's not just, here's a quarter of a million dollars. You can go to Stanford and study, you know, whatever you want, (laughs) right? So we said, we will pay. My husband and I both went to um, public undergrads, right? We said, we'll pay for four years of an undergraduate in-state college, right? And we will give you a place to live because we are literally walking distance from the college. So... If you want to live on campus, that's great, but you're going to have to pay for that yourself. We will feed you. We will let you borrow a car, like, <laughs> you know, like, just like you were in high school, right? Same, same situation. But what's on your end is you have to get a scholarship. And the way that Wyoming does their scholarships, do you guys have lottery scholarships in Nevada? I believe so, yes. Okay, it, it's a similar thing where... Essentially, if you get a three and a half, 3.5 GPA, so A's and B's, and then a 1,200 on the SAT, which both my husband and I scored higher than that, um, you get a full ride. And so if she scores less than that, she'll get like a half ride or a quarter ride or whatever. But I said, you just have to get something and then we'll make up the difference, right? So that kind of goes back to the, the homeschooling part. Like we're doing some extra stuff. like. Like I just ordered her some books about um, test-taking skills, for example. Uh, and I know she's six, right? <laughs> so, yeah. But I, I guess you know people will say, well, what if she wants to go to University of Colorado? And I say, well, now let's get back to needs versus wants. If you need a college degree, great. Here's one right next door. If you want to pay an extra forty thousand dollars because you like the campus at University of Colorado, that that's a different discussion, right? Yeah, yeah. Most undergrads, like you can really get that wherever. It's the post-undergrad stuff that you may need to go to a specific right. university, like a specific program to really get down to the nitty gritty. But I mean, that's why a lot of people, you know, if they want to save money, they can even start at the, you know, junior college level. Yep. 
and and work up to it because a bachelor's generally is a bachelor's the 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 things that you get from certain schools might be like social connections and that kind of thing networking networking which is not small but again um if you're going into a very specific field you're probably going to have some kind of post right Work. Like we've had to make a couple of contingency plans if our daughter decides to study something that isn't offered at UW. So for example, we don't have a medical school, right? But she can still study biology for undergrad and then go to medical school wherever she wants. But for example, there's, um, we don't have an aerospace engineering program. My husband is a rocket scientist. My daughter's favorite movie is Interstellar. She has, <laughs> she has NASA stickers all over her bed. So we've agreed if if that's what she wants to do, and again, this is 15 years from now, but if this is what she wants to do, then we'll encourage her to apply to an in-state school that offers aerospace like Georgia Tech, and then we will move to Georgia, right? Mm -hmm. So that's another thing about the location independence. Mm -hmm. We can move to the place that has the program that she wants, and then we'll we'll be residents. That's great. That's cool. We have spreadsheets for all of this. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do, because you're engineers. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nerds. <laughs> Just kidding. No, no. <laughs> Here too. Yeah. yeah. Just in a different way. <laughs> yes. Well, Kim, uh, so thank you so much for sharing with us today. We absolutely love your story. Uh, if any of our listeners want to find out more about you or reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Um, this is my website. So it's thefrugalengineers.com and we have, you know, you can sign up for emails and, and all that. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Awesome. It was really great talking to you. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. Okay. That was Kim from thefrugalengineers.com. It was a really wonderful chatting with her. Yeah. And it was a different one for us because, you know, she's the first, uh, she's the first real person that we've interviewed that's not real estate related. I mean. Yeah. Whereas. Yeah. I mean, we have, I don't know when this one is going to air, but we do have a financial person too. Yes. That we, we, that will be airing either before this, either it's already aired. So that's what we're talking about. (laughs) We we sat down, Um, we sat down and chatted with uh, uh, a CPA named Stephen Hamilton about health savings. I sat down. I sat down. Yeah. I went to a birthday party. Yes. As one does with children. Yes. Um, No, but I think it's interesting because like you can talk to, all the real estate people and foundationally a lot of the what what you're going to talk about is the same there's mm-hmm. there's only so many ways to invest in real estate <laughs> there's only so many markets but it's the same for really any concept and and so i think you know i think fi is still is a part of what we're going for it's just maybe not what we're branding it as or mm-hmm. you know branding it as in real real estate investment but that's really the goal is that that FI goal for us. And and that's so talking to people who have FI, whether they got there with real estate or not, I think it's still a great learning opportunity and you always are going to get something out of it because you can do real estate investing. If you're doing other things on top of that, you're going to get places a lot quicker probably, or it can also give you more flexibility to do different things in real estate and, you know, yada, yada, all that kind of stuff. So it's still important. And I, I look forward to, to talking to other people that are sort of uh, real estate investing adjacent. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. So what was your key lesson learned from this interview? 
I don't know. There's a lot of little tidbits and I feel like I'm probably going to take the one that you want to talk about at this point. Maybe not. I, I, I don't know if it was a key lesson learned, but I thought it was interesting. The concept of increasing happiness by removing negatives rather than trying to put in more positives. And I think, you know, that's something that uh, a lot of us forget is that they just try and keep fixing it with like making something, you know, doing something better or different or whatever. And a lot of times if you just remove the problem entirely, you're going to get a better result. And it's not always a possibility, but identifying the issue at the very least can be illuminating. So then when you can make a change, you know where to make that change. So, you know, we both have decently long commutes uh, Mm -hmm. for the Vegas area, you know, not for LA maybe, but (laughs) for the Vegas area that I I think both of us would prefer to not be driving that long every day. And that's not really, uh, neither of us can change that. You know, I work at a doctor's office doing things that I have to talk to people face-to-face, you know, I I can't do that remotely. And uh, Neil works in a, a vault and has a security clearance, cannot do things remotely. So that's not an option right now, but it is something to remember that that's really, when we do have flexibility, that would be a great place to start is, okay, if one of us still is needing to work, is there something that we can do from home rather than in a location that's 30 minutes to an hour and a half away, depending on how horrible traffic is. No, but it is is so key to think about, is a nicer car going to make me happier than shortening my commute? You yeah. Know? yeah. And, and the chance, the, the answer is, you know, probably not. The short commute's probably going to make you happier. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's there's things that a nicer car might give you, but in the long run, a, a, a heat warmer, you know, a, a heated seat or something is not yeah. not going to make it that much more pleasant. Or yeah. you know, even reducing your gas mileage is great, but it still doesn't take the time. You know, if you if you have like a hybrid or something mm-hmm. like that great. You know, yeah. that's awesome for, for me. I have a hybrid. It lowers our gas cost and that's awesome. And I would still be happier. Like it makes me a little happy that we don't have to spend that. I would be much happier if I didn't have to drive that drive yeah. every day, yeah. you know? So. Well, and it, it, it goes back to the whole idea of just the whole idea of um, when you're facing a financial emergency to take some time to just breathe Yeah, and don't rush. Uh, don't rush the decision. Take take a day off if you have to, and sit down and really, um, yeah, figure out. And better yet, if you can plan ahead, also, you know, yeah. that's something that you can think about with some of those things. I mean, okay, what what would we do if we crashed a car? You know, and yeah. we both need to go to work. Well, one of us could drive the other one to work mm-hmm. and pick one up. Yeah. Um, that would be a possibility. We could do Uber if we really needed to. We could ask for a ride from someone. You know, there's there's a, a myriad of other things. To could take time off if you really had to before diving into buying a car, which we would then also purchase used. Yeah. And if we can do it with cash, we do it with cash as much as possible. Yeah. Um, but it's the same thing. Like, okay, you want to buy a house, but you know, plan that you, you like really know you're going to stick to your plan rather than feeling like you have to rush. If you really feel like you need to be in a certain area for like a school zone or something, then find a rental in that area. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's easier said than done, but I think it's something to remember. Okay. Okay. That was Kim from the frugal engineers.com. Check her out. And that's it. 
let's hit the road. See you again next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.